0: The reading of the scriptures from Psalm 47. I invite your reverent attention and hearing in faith God's word from Psalm 47. To the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, The Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under him and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our king. Sing praises, for God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a song. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted.
1: All of us uh, have uh, different vocations in life. Uh, I presume you have uh, numerous hobbies, things that you give your attention to. Uh, you share your affections uh, with uh, objects and things and people, uh, institutions. Uh, but the greatest of all of our vocations uh, is set forth in our psalm this morning, uh, specifically uh, that we're to praise God uh, now and forever Uh Continually uh, praises to be on our lips. Uh, and that is uh, the summons of our uh, psalm this morning. Uh, and we are to praise uh, God because He is King over everyone and everything, uh, and He reigns supreme uh, while He is subduing all of His enemies. Uh, both uh, underneath his feet and, interestingly enough, under our feet, Uh, and so uh, summons uh, to praise. Uh, We would call the psalm just that, uh, a psalm of praise. Uh, It, I think, contains elements of enthronement. It also contains elements of uh, wisdom, uh, and for us, uh, the abiding reality that there is continuing fulfillment as uh, God is uh, subduing all things, not only under the feet of our Savior, uh, but, uh, in the words of the psalmist, under our feet. Uh, as I've suggested, uh, the form of the psalm is of praise, as we are summoned to praise in two verses, uh, both verse 1 as well as in verse 6. It's interesting uh, to me that in both of these verses, there are six. Six imperatives that call us to the praise of God. And then there follows, uh, in the subsequent verses, reasons that we praise God. If you look at verse 2-4, for the Lord Most High is to be feared. In other words, it's uh, beginning the litany of reasons that we praise God. Uh, Or uh, verse 7-4, Again, another reason, God is the king of all the earth. So summons to praise followed by reasons uh, is uh, the simplicity of uh, the breakdown of the psalm before us this morning. When we begin, clap your hands and uh, shout in a ringing cry. Uh, the imagery is that of uh, a company of people that welcome back a conquering hero. And uh, so people are clapping their hands, and uh, women are uh, raising uh, their voices uh, in a loud song, uh, acknowledging uh, the praises that are worthy of the great victor. Uh, I remember uh, when uh, uh, General MacArthur was... uh, Uh, sacked uh, for uh, his work in the Korean War by Truman. He comes back to New York City. Uh, The city uh, gave him perhaps one of the greatest uh, victory parades that I think has ever occurred uh, in the United States. It took his motorcade seven hours to travel 19 miles. Uh, Longshoremen left their jobs Uh, everyone seemingly turned out. I think there was something like uh, 5,000 tons of confetti uh, showered on the general. But if you think about it, uh, seven uh, hours to traverse 19 miles, that's really chump change for all of the victories won for us uh, by God. The greatest victor of all times uh, has come and gone, but is coming again. A reminder that in the interim times, we are to uh, praise him uh, for the majesty of uh, all of his victories. Not just that he has won, but he is continuing to win because it's a repetitive event. That's why I think uh, the summons to praise contains six imperatives. Contain really 600 imperatives because the victories are ongoing. Uh, and that is a part of the, uh, the force of the song that uh, continually before us is the praise of our great God. Uh, uh, no, there's no doubt that there is perhaps some historic uh, precedence uh, for our psalm, uh, but the language suggests a continuous and repetitive praise in light of who God is. And again, as I've suggested, his continual victories, uh, past, present, and future. Uh, and so, public and private Praise should define us. Uh, Public praise as we gather as God's people, but private praise throughout our devotional lives uh, should define us uh, in light of uh, God, our great and only victor, and in light of the victories he wins for us every day. Well, the reasons uh, for praise uh, is, is why we are summoned to praise. And as I've suggested, they begin in verse 2, they're recapitulated again uh, in verse 7. number of reasons to praise, just a few are presented to us this morning. Uh, first, we praise God for who He is. The psalmist tells us in verse 2, He is the Most High. Uh, it is really an implied superlative. Uh, it's not just that He's the Most High, it's that He is the Highest. Uh, there is none, uh, who is above our God, is at the pinnacle, and everyone, everything, uh, is uh, subservient to him. Uh, In that sense, he is totally unique. Uh, There's only one God, and our God is at the pinnacle of uh, all of creation, all of life, and in that sense, he should be at the pinnacle of all of our praises. We should be consumed in the thoughts of his majesty because he is king over all. There are no competitors uh, to our God. There are no analogs to our God. It's one of the great threats of the Christian faith. Uh, Competitive religions continually parade before us the notion that uh, we all uh, worship the same God, He just has different names. Well, you don't find that in the Scriptures. You find that there is but one God and one only. He is the highest. He is the greatest. There are no others. There are no analogs. To the God of Scripture. And that's why we uh, come to the praise of God as is defined for us by the word of God itself. Uh, furthermore, his reign is eternal and immutable, and as such, he is to be feared. Uh, the psalmist reminds us if God is indeed the only God and the greatest of, uh, uh, of gods, and that in reality there are no others, and again, he is to be feared. Uh, In our praise for Him, uh, we show Him, of course, reverence and respect. But there is also the fear of God. Reminded of the words of our Savior in Matthew 10. Uh, Do not just fear the one who can kill the body. Fear the one who can kill both body and soul. Uh, That is the God to be feared. Because He controls not just our physical beings, He controls the soul that lives forever. And he can kill that soul, kill it in terms of eternal judgment. And that, of course, is a God to be feared. Uh, The parallel line is he's a great king over all the earth. Uh, Again, as a figure of speech, Uh, it's not just that he is king over all the earth, uh, but the psalmist intends for us to embrace the contents of the earth, specifically his dominion encompasses everyone and everything and all of the time so that nothing is excluded from his kingship. Uh, In that sense, uh, his absolute supremacy is foundational for uh, our our praise of God. Uh, I remind you that uh, uh, this is uh, not Uh, a mere repetition of titles. Uh, My favorite illustration of that is the Queen of England. Uh, She has an exalted title. Uh, But if you know anything about their constitutional monarchy, you know that by and large she, she really has no power whatsoever. It falls to the parliament and the prime Minister. I'm not degrading the queen. Uh, She has an exalted position, tradition, history. Uh, She is uh, a delightful person to be sure. Uh, But only God is the true king of England. And uh, uh, beyond that, uh, it's not just a title. Uh, He is king over all that England once ruled over. And beyond that, the entire earth and all of its contents. That every rock and blade, every tree, every cornstalk, uh, every governor, every mayor, every senator, every congressman or congresswoman, uh, the point of the psalm is a summons by virtue of imperative to sing praises to the great King of heaven and earth. Uh, so, uh, part of our worship of God uh, in our great exalted vocation is to acknowledge the supremacy of God uh, because of who He is. Uh, another reason verses 3 to 4 is we praise God for what He does in making us victorious. Uh, if you look at Psalm 47.3, He subdues people under us and nations under our feet. It really struck me because we don't really, at least I don't, perhaps you do, Think in those terms. I I think in terms of uh, God subduing uh, nations uh, under the feet of Christ. uh, That is uh, something we find often in Scripture, and we will look at it again this morning. Uh, But here it's under us, so that we participate uh, in the victory won, won by Christ, and that we stand with Him, the great victor, as victors over all of the enemies of the faith. In other words, it's a pronouncement to the church, to the people of God, that in all of life, in all of time, as Christians, we will win because we are in Christ. And in that sense, the psalmist is entirely correct. He will subdue all of our enemies and all nations under us because of our Savior very interesting that the, uh, the verb subdue, in the Hebrew Bible, is uh, a verb in the causative stem from the verb to speak, which in and of itself is the reason we should praise God, because it's one of the elements of the supremacy of His majesty, that all He has to do is speak and things happen. Victory happens, for example. Uh, God doesn't have to wake up and put on a sword and go saddle His stallion to go to battle. Earthly kings do that, not the divine king. All He needs to do is speak. And everything... Stands at attention to do the will of the great king. It's an incredible reference to his power. Uh, He speaks and it happens. It's the point of the epic of creation. Uh, God speaks and there's light. Uh, God speaks and there's a division between the sea and the the dry ground. it's one of, uh, one of my reminders that I am sovereign over nothing. I, I speak and my young sons would say, yeah, sure. Go do whatever it is they wanted to do. It's the way it is. But it's a reminder that while I'm not sovereign, there's one true sovereign who speaks and everything that he wishes and desires and all of his purposes are fulfilled by virtue of who He is. It affirms that nature, the material world, the spiritual world, the church, and even the enemies of God obey to do His bidding. And again, as I've suggested, notice the object, subduing peoples and nations under our feet. Again, there's a figure of speech here that is a substitution a cause for effect. It's a reference to the vanquished, uh, but it speaks really to the cause, the great victor who is God, king over all. Again, he is not even the first among equals. He's the only true great king. He is the victor. Uh, The aspect of the action, the verb, is repeated universal action. Just the loveliness of the majesty of God. The continual repetition. The universality. of The continuing truth. That He is always on His throne. Reminded of uh, one of my favorite quotes from Charles Spurgeon. Men love God everywhere except upon His throne. But we delight, we delight, we revel in His throne because of the majesty of His kingship and what He means to us as our benevolent Heavenly Father. Uh, For our God, uh, defeat is uh, not an option. Not only for His enemies, but our enemies. And all of our enemies will be subdued under our feet. So a really conclusive uh, uh, text to this end in the words of the Apostle Paul, 16th chapter of the book of Romans, and the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Again, I think it's another figure of speech beyond uh, the aspect of, uh, of subduing, but uh, it is the fact that Satan is the principal enemy, but it's all of our enemies will be brought to bear under the feet of the church, under the feet of the majesty of the great God. Uh, He will crush him on the head uh, in total abject defeat. That work, by the way, is already being done uh, because uh, God in the majesty of His victory upon the cross is uh, preventing Satan from deceiving the church. If He didn't do that, none of us would ever come to believe, but He's already begun the great act of crushing the serpent. Uh, but oh, that great day. What a great day will be when uh, our arch enemy, our arch foe, will be brought to heal. Now, in the sense of uh, the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 16, uh, he will be brought to bear. Our feet will be upon his neck. And he will heal to us because of the power of, of the majesty of our great king and his continuing victories. Crush Satan under our feet. And may God hasten that day. It is it's a reminder uh, of, of the praise that is uh, due him uh, in light of uh, what he does for us. We praise him because of who he is, notwithstanding, but we praise him because he acts in our stead, he acts for us. He will bring all of our enemies to bear, so that we are the victors too. Now, we are always want to say that Christ is victor, but here he makes us uh, victors with him. Uh, and more importantly, all of the vanquished will see it, and will know it. So a beautiful illustration of this uh, comes to us, uh, book of the Revelation. If you have your New Testament, uh, turn with me, if you would, to uh, Revelation chapter 20. Uh, I'd like to give an expression of the victory that uh, falls uh, uh, immediately uh, uh, to those who are in Christ uh, uh, when they leave this world. Uh, John says in Revelation 24, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was uh, given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark upon their forehead and upon their hand. Now, now notice the victory. We know their defeat, and yes, in a certain physical sense, Christians are defeated because they've been beheaded in this case. But notice the victory, and they came to life. And they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The victory that falls to the church. You're a Christian, you win in Him. Uh, even, even when you die, it's reversed immediately. Uh, they came to life and they reign with Christ. To me, the reference for a thousand years is a uh, period referencing uh, a long period of time, uh, namely, uh, uh, the present time, and of course, beyond that, all eternity. The uh, book of the Revelation is a very figurative book, and numbers are used very figuratively, and this one is too. They came to life and they reigned. People who reign are, are kings, and that's part of our victory. We are king priests. Uh, and we come to life and reign with them. Uh, and again, our enemies will see it and know it. And know that in the end, uh, we have been winning all along, but in the end, we win to be sure. Uh, it's interesting that there's a definition here of the uh, of, uh, of the winners. Uh, I, I might call them the uncompromising church, uh, because... Uh, uh, They are in service to the Word of God, and uh, they don't worship the beast. Uh, And they are faithful to the Word of God. It's a great definition of what a Christian is. It's not just a label. Uh, It's not just a title. It's the essence of the life of those who profess to know Jesus Christ, that they are faithful to the Word of God. into the testimony of Jesus. And they never worship the beast because they know that he will be crushed under their feet. And because they know that God is the only majestic king who is worthy of worship. And his son who is worthy of worship because he ransomed his life, the one for the many. But in our text, uh, the church appears to be vanquished. Does it not? Uh, they are called, uh, uh, if you will, uh, martyrs. They've been beheaded. It's a great deal of argument, uh, of course, in many different respects on this text, but uh, some people say that these are the only ones that uh, engage uh, in this coming to life and reigning with him for a thousand years, namely those who have been beheaded. But I take it uh, a grander aspect of those who are faithful to the Lord, those who suffer in any measure in advancing His cause. Because of the word of God, because of the testimony of Jesus, and because they refuse to worship the beast. Some are beheaded, to be sure, Uh, but all, all give service to Christ, and in that sense, uh, are part of this this grand victory that is here. And again, uh, John sees souls that have been beheaded, but he sees something else, doesn't he? He sees thrones. And uh, he sees uh, the church, if you will, seated upon those thrones. Those are the victors celebrating. They've come to life. They died in service to the Lord. But immediately they come to life and are seated upon thrones in heaven. It is a picture of the great victory of the church. Ironically, seemingly suffering defeat because there are some martyrs. But notwithstanding that, they are brought to life and their souls ascend to heaven and they are seated upon thrones and they rule as king priests. And they rule and reign for a thousand years. Again, a summons to all of us Uh, To reckon that uh, our life shouldn't be a mere label. Shouldn't be defined by a mere day. uh, But by those who keep the testimony of Jesus and the word of God. And who refuse to worship the beast. And uh, those are rewarded. They sit upon thrones and they rule and they reign. Those are victors. And everything is being subdued under their feet because they are victors. This is a theme that's uh, quite pronounced. Uh, throughout the book of the Revelation, let's simply turn to a couple of other references to this end. Uh, Revelation uh, chapter one and verse six, and He has made us king priests. This Captures something of the theology that we uh, we will reign with Christ because He has made us to be king priests. Chapter 5, in verse 10. Thou hast made them to be a kingdom and priest to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. The victory that falls to the church. Of course, subservient to the greatest of all victories, Jesus Christ, uh, who uh, has defeated death and sin. And so... Uh, standing in the shadow of the greatest of all victors, we come to life, we'll reign with them in perpetuity, uh, exercise judgment over all of our enemies uh, because uh, we are victors. Uh, and though vanquished in service, uh, the victors are transported to heaven and they win and all of the compromisers will lose point of the book of the Revelation. A summons to the church to be faithful to Christ because all who are are victors. Under the shadow of the greatest of victors, Christ Himself. And so we, uh, we, we praise God for who He is. We, we praise Him for what He does for us. Uh, and another expression of that uh, is that He chooses... Uh, Our inheritance, the glory of Jacob, verse 4, and he loves us. Uh, Reminded words of the Apostle Paul, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, that we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. I mean, you can see in Paul's language is a reference implicitly to the kingship of God because he works all things after the counsel of his will. And part of what he works is that he predestines our inheritance and gives us an inheritance according to his eternal purposes. And nothing can reverse it. It's why we are victors under the greatest of all victors, Christ our Redeemer. Reminded uh, continually of this, uh, uh, not in a condescending way, but uh, in a way that speaks to the grandeur of all that we have because we are in Christ. There's all types of nonprofit organizations who are helping people uh, purchase homes. Uh, uh, very fond of the one that uh, helps uh, wounded veterans and uh, uh, their families who perhaps uh, lose uh, of their loved ones in a theater of war. Uh, reminded of a continual advertisement of, I see on the television all the time, Publishers publisher's clearinghouse comes and knocks on the door and presents the man or the woman or whoever in the household uh, a big check of, I don't know, put a figure, a thousand million dollars. And there's great dancing in the street. You can see the woman or the husband jumping up and down. Uh, shrieking in joy. I mean, I understand. I get that. I, I, you know, would they would come to my house. But, but if you think about it, it pales in significance to obtaining the inheritance won for us by Jesus Christ and that is made absolutely certain of the greatest real estate of all time called eternity in the presence of God. The land in the Old Testament foreshadows heaven. Uh, the language, think about the language how the Old Testament uh, described uh, the land of Israel, land of milk and honey. But again, a figure of speech. Uh, just a part for the whole. Much more than milk and honey, was it not? Or the garden imagery of the book of the Revelation. Again, reminder of uh, God in His great redemptive work returning us to the pristine creation before the fall. Uh, but even then, greater still. Uh, because uh, God through Jesus Christ is one for us and eternal inheritance. You know, again, I'm I'm all for all these organizations that help people. It's a wonderful thing. I commend people who are engaged in such. Uh, we all need help at different times in our life, but, but, but God has won for us an eternal inheritance, which can never be taken away because He is king. Uh, and we will reign and rule with Him throughout all eternity as His king priests. Heck, in Oklahoma, what do we do? We do chump change in Oklahoma. People going to buy a lottery ticket to win some prize. You and I have won it in Christ. It can never be taken away. We'll never run out. The treasury of the storehouse of heaven. I mean, it is meant to dry some of our tears to remind us of what God has for the faithful. And here in the language of this psalm, it's reminding us that we are eternal victors and that God has uh, chosen for us the majesty of the greatest of wealth. Uh, The prophet Isaiah uh, describes this in uh, earthly language for us. Isaiah 61, verse 6, but You will be called priests of the Lord. You will be spoken of as ministers of our God. You will eat the wealth of the nations and their riches you will boast. It all will accrue to us. The majesty of eternal provisions. Uh, And here, uh, we we, we praise God for he's gone up with a shout and the sound of a trumpet, verse 5. It's the language of an earthly king. He comes and he fights our battles uh, and then he uh, goes back to his throne victorious. Now, the language, again, is really figurative because God never has to leave his throne. Everything is his will. And everything is a uh, victory for us. Very interesting to me that uh, uh, this language of a shout and of the sound of a trumpet uh, used of our Savior in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16. Reminder that the point to all of these riches and all of this victory is Christ, coming to Christ, suing Him for peace and forgiveness, uh, asking Him for the cleansing power of His redemptive sacrifice, the one for the many. Uh, That's that's the path to victory. Uh, And again, uh, we praise Him for who He is, we praise Him for what He does for us, but we also praise Him repetitively. I've suggested to you that the psalm reduplicates itself in verses 6 to 9. Some is to praise verse 6, followed by reasons in verses 7 to 9. Uh, I acknowledged a moment ago that this uh, was something uh, also of a, of a wisdom a psalm. Verse 7, sing praises with a uh, skillful psalm. Really, in the Hebrew Bible, it's just simply one word. The Hebrew word is maskele. It comes from the verb to be wise, to have understanding. Uh, And so the psalmist is telling us to gain understanding that if you want victory, uh, the path uh, is set forth by our great and only king. Uh, It's also a wisdom psalm in that it helps us to understand what it means to fear the Lord, given who he is and what he is doing and that we must be wise and respond to Him appropriately. Uh, Something of this uh, in the introduction to the entire Psalter. Psalm 2, Do homage to the Son, lest He become angry, and you perish in the way. For His wrath may soon be kindled, and how blessed are all who take refuge in Him. It's a word of wisdom. When you're in Christ, He's your eternal refuge everything else will be defeated under the victory of the great victor. And we must be wise because he reigns over the nations and he sits on his holy throne, uh, verse 8. John, uh, the apostle, uh, alludes to this text and the verb to sit and throne 12 times in the book of the Revelation just as one illustration among 12. Revelation 5.13, In every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea, and all the things in them, I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. That John is picking up the theology of Psalm 47 and making the entire created order. Acknowledging the kingship of God. Uh, Daniel alludes to this text as well. Uh, Daniel, uh, chapter 7, and verse 9, I kept looking until thrones were set up and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Reigning and ruling of the greatness of our God. The rest of the chapter describes an unprecedented battle between the forces of evil and the church. Guess who wins? The church. Because of him who sits on the throne, who needs only to speak. And all of his enemies and our enemies are brought to bear. Greatest of all victories of all time. The victory parade will last throughout all eternity. It's a reminder to be numbered among the saints, to be faithful to the word of God, to reject the worship of the beast because he will be crushed under the feet of the church because of our great and only victor, Jesus Christ. Uh, in that sense, that these allusions are true, and I believe that they are in the language of the text, that means that the end time judgment and redemption have begun, meaning that the separation of victors and vanquished is occurring even now based upon their response to the great king. Also an implied invitation, uh, come to the king, sue for peace, lest you be vanquished and perish in the way. Uh, For only those who find refuge in the victory of Christ uh, will have safety.
0: Uh,
1: It's it's an invitation to surrender now because you will be made to surrender in eternity. Beautiful illustration of this in the psalm itself. Uh, The princes of the people, verse 9, have assembled themselves together. For the shields of the earth belong to God. Shields are referenced to warriors. Warriors. He owns them all. They will bow before him. The greatest of warriors. I mean, Douglas MacArthur is chump change. God owns him and owned him. All warriors. Some of you, like me, served in the military. Every unit I ever walked into, the first thing you saw was a chain of command. President of the United States was at the top. Then it listed them all. Every level of command. I used to always chuckle because I forgot one. God. He's the pinnacle of the chain of command. And everyone and everything serves under Him. This is the theology of Psalm 47. Uh, It's most beautifully expressed in the words of the Apostle Paul, uh, 1 Corinthians 15. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that will be abolished is death. Uh, Great expression of Christ our King, ruling and reigning. And ultimately, he will defeat the greatest of enemies, death itself. He will crush Satan under our feet and he will destroy death and we will live and reign with them throughout all time. Never to die again. Uh, the greatest of all victories. Uh, the Apostle Paul is uh, alluding to two Psalms. Uh, Psalm 8 and Psalm 110. Uh, in Psalm 8, Adam was to be a vice-regent over the creation. He forsook it but it's ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Uh, psalm 8.6, Thou dost make him to rule over the works of thy hands, thou hast put all things under his feet. And so Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of what the first Adam forsook. Uh, the greatest is perhaps uh, Psalm 110, which I believe is the only purely prophetic uh, psalm messianic at all of this psalter. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool of thy feet. He will reign and rule over them all. I love, I love the reference to the last enemy, even death, will be made to heal under us because of Christ, uh, the great victor. That in the end, uh, the psalmist is telling us, all of the scriptures are telling us. Every enemy will be vanquished and our redemption forever completed. Uh, The point of this victory is it's occurring now. But it will be made absolutely certain and visible when Christ comes again. If you're not a Christian, there is an interim time. Uh, The psalmist is appealing to you to sue for peace, uh, to bow before Christ, uh, swear allegiance to Him, enlist in His service, be faithful to the Word of God. Reject the worship of the beast, for he will be crushed under the feet of the people of God, including death itself. Uh, and so uh, we, we, uh, we are to praise God. Uh, we're to be his worshipers because of who he is, because of what he does uh, for us, uh, and because of his continuing victories. Victory after victory after victory until every enemy is brought to heal, uh, even under our feet, Satan itself and death, to be sure. A compelling reason to make as part of your everyday vocation the worship of our great and only God through Jesus Christ our Savior.